Well, let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, if you've uh, taken a look at the outline I passed out, you'll notice that Pastor John graciously allowed me to insert an additional week into our series. We are now doing a six-week series in the book of Colossians rather than a five. It's just so much stuff in here. And Pastor John said, well, just, man, just teach it. So I inserted a new week three. So tonight we're going to finish chapter one, starting in verse 24 uh, through 29. So let's, let's uh, read that together. Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So I've entitled tonight uh, the disclosure. This is Paul getting ready to diffuse some of the delusional doctrine that's crept in to Colossae, and so he's, he's, he's telling the Colossians who he is. You remember Paul hasn't visited this church. Paul did not plant this church. Uh, this church was planted by Epaphras, and so he, he kind of wanted to lay a foundation, a framework of his challenge of this counterfeit, corrupt doctrine, this teaching. And so he tells them, first of all, he says, he says I've been suffering as a minister of the gospel on your behalf. So, number one, let's take, take a look, first of all, at verses 24 and 25. We see the minister, the minister, and we'll, we'll take a look at, first of all, his suffering, his suffering. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. How could Paul say that? I rejoice in my sufferings for the church. Had he lost his mind? How many of you rejoice in your sufferings? No, I grumble about my sufferings. I complain about my sufferings. I get upset about my sufferings. My van wouldn't start this morning. That's suffering, amen? When your car doesn't start, throws a wrench at your day. I, I grumbled a little bit. I'd like to tell you that my first inclination was to, to bow in prayer and say, God, I know that you have something to teach me. I did not. I was frustrated. Uh, Paul rejoiced uh, in his sufferings. Uh, you might think, well, had he lost his mind? No, I would argue that Paul rather had found the mind of Christ. He had found the mind of Christ. He knew that when he suffered persecution because of Jesus, because of the church, that he was never more like his Lord. You see, we get this idea of, I want to be like Jesus. Don't you want to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. We even sing songs, an old chorus. You guys remember this one? To be like Jesus. Do you remember that one? Was that just a Pentecostal song? Okay. <laughs> to be like Jesus, that's all I ask, to be like him. Do you remember that one? All through life's journey from earth to glory, that's all I ask, to be like him. Anybody know that one Am I by myself? Okay. Great song, okay? But, but you need to realize that Jesus, when he walked the earth, was not a comfortable king. He was a suffering servant. And so when we sing that and when we say that that's our heart's desire, we need to know what we're asking for. 
We, we should really sing, um, Lord, I will suffer, right? Lord, bring some trouble. That's all I ask. Just bring it on, right? We don't, we don't sing that. But really, when we're asking to be like Jesus, we're saying, Lord, I will submit to a life of suffering because Jesus was a suffering servant and Paul was a suffering servant. Uh, the Bible tells us about Jesus' suffering. Isaiah 53, 3-7, do you remember this passage? He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Do you remember that? That's our Savior. He was a suffering servant. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And so when Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, the reason he's saying that is because he's found the mind of Christ. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus was a suffering servant. When I suffer in Jesus' name, I'm never more like my Lord. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Paul could certainly relate to the suffering of the Lord. Uh, in another letter to another church, 2 Corinthians 11.24-28, he tells us a little bit about his suffering. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my... Are you catching a word? Perils? In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Yet Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul suffered for Jesus. He suffered for the church of Jesus Christ. But in Romans 8, 18, I love this passage. And if you don't memorize it, if you haven't memorized it, you need to. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. It doesn't compare. When I suffer, I'm like Jesus, but it's temporary because there's glory that waits. I rejoice in my suffering. Let me ask you some personal questions tonight. Have you ever been punched in the mouth because of Jesus? I haven't. Uh, how about being stoned? Have you ever been stoned because of Jesus? Whipped? No? Okay, how about, have you ever had your feelings hurt by somebody in the church? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you have. I haven't, but. 
You know, in America, we move our membership because somebody hear our feelings. Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Makes you like Jesus. Makes you like Jesus. Paul not only rejoiced in suffering, in the suffering of his ministry because it made him more like his Lord, but he also recognized that his ministry was letter B, his stewardship. So we see the minister in his suffering. We see also the minister in his stewardship. Look at verse 25 there. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul was entrusted a ministry by God for God. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's how he introduced himself in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul didn't preach the gospel and plant churches because his grandmother thought he, sh- thought he should or because his dad told him he would be good at it. He didn't choose the ministry because it was the family business. He didn't choose the ministry because he thought it would be a lucrative way to make a name for himself. No. Paul's ministry was not a career. It was a calling. It was a stewardship entrusted to him by God. Ever since his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul could do nothing else with his life and expect to have peace with God. He was called. He was set apart for the purpose of preaching the gospel. This Sunday in our Connect Groups, uh, if you come, 9.30 by the way, Connect Groups, find one. Uh, if, you, if you haven't found a Connect Group yet, go on our website and uh, check them all out and please visit one this Sunday, 9.30. But if you're there, you'll, you'll be studying Acts 13, uh, where God calls out Barnabas with Paul for ministry. It says, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Um, Without pursuing a rabbit trail here, because we don't have a whole lot of time, let me just say that all Christians are technically called to full-time ministry. We're to serve Jesus and share Jesus everywhere, with everyone, and everything we do. Do you agree with that? Amen. Amen. Every every believer and minister. However, I do believe, call me old-fashioned, But I do believe there's a specific calling to vocational ministry. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why. Uh, And this is really from personal personal experience and those that I've I've talked to. Uh, There's a calling by God's Spirit, a distinct stirring by God's Spirit in the heart. There's a compulsion in the soul. What do I mean by that? I mean mind, will, emotion. There's a compulsion I need, to, I need to surrender my life and serve God with my life in the area of preaching, teaching, pastoring. Um, in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, if a man desires the position of a pastor, he desires a good thing. There's a desire there. There's a, there's a compulsion there in the soul. There's a compassion for people. The motive for ministry is love. It's love. You can see it in Paul's life. He was willing to trade places with those who were lost of his countrymen so that they would not go to hell. There's a love. There's a a driving passion for people and a compassion for people. Then there's an affirmation by God's people. Is this person who has a compulsion uh, for the ministry, are they gifted to serve in the ministry? Has God gifted them to serve? Are they apt to teach, able to teach or preach? And then finally, there's a confirmation by the church and other God-called men. You see that in Acts 13. Are they qualified? Are they gifted? Do you see the shift 
in subjective evidence to objective evidence. A person feels a compulsion, an inclination, a, a calling by the Spirit, and then there's an, a recognition of gifts and qualifications, and then ultimately the church says, we agree that this person is qualified and gifted, and we send them out from us. We confirm that. When I was a sophomore at Liberty University, I surrendered my life to full-time ministry. I, I experienced all of these things, and I was so excited, I called my dad, and I'm thinking he would be thrilled, and there was a silence, because he was a pastor. I grew up, I'm a preacher's kid, and there was a silence on the other line, and then he quoted Charles Spurgeon. He said, if you can do anything else, do it, anything else. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. Thanks a lot, Dad. Uh, but he was testing that. He was testing that call, right? And I can do nothing else. There's a compulsion in me. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's a separation there. There's a distinction between those Jesus himself gifted in the church, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And then there are special qualifications that are unique to those who serve in the role of pastor teacher that all believers are not expected to meet. They're found in Titus 1, 5 through 9, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. There's also a stricter judgment. James 3, 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So let me close this little rabbit trail bookend, the stewardship of the minister with this phrase, leadership in the church that involves teaching, preaching, and the shepherding of God's people is a stewardship that is entrusted by God to gifted and biblically qualified men. And so Paul, the minister, rejoiced in his suffering and understood the stewardship that was entrusted to him by God. Now let's look quickly at the mystery, verses 26 through 27. His stewardship was to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul uses the word mystery 21 times in his letters to the church. Mystery. And what it basically refers to is a truth that has been hidden but is now revealed to those that, who, to whom he's writing and to us here tonight. And so first thing about the mystery is that it is hidden from them. Hidden from them, from ages and from generations. Hebrews 11 is a tremendous passage of Scripture where it, it lists Old Testament saints who believed the promise of God with their whole heart but didn't see the whole story. Couldn't see the whole picture. From Abel to Enoch, from Noah to Abraham and Sarah, from Moses to all the prophets, of whom the writer of Hebrews says in 11.13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but, have, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
Later on, it talks about faithful ones who were not so famous ones. People of the faith that believed the story without seeing the, the final chapter. They embraced it. We don't know the, their names, but the writer of Hebrews reminds us that they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking, mockings and scourgings, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. All of these believed the mystery, even though it was still partially hidden to them. That's amazing faith. And I look forward to meeting them one day. Hebrews 11, 39, 40 says, All these, the ones we know, the ones we don't know, the names we recognize, the names that weren't listed, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should, be, they should not be made perfect apart from us. They believed the promise before it was fulfilled. They committed to the story before the final chapters had been written. It was hidden from them. But it was revealed to us. This mystery that was hidden from them, letter B, is now revealed to us. Don't you love to get inside information? Don't you love it when somebody says, hey, come here, I want to tell you something. And you know no one else in the room has any idea. And then they tell you and you're like, oh, okay, I got it. Hey. And you just, you know. You have that knowledge, right? Knowledge is power, they say. Things that had been hidden for ages and generations from the faithful saints, God has laid open and revealed to us. We know the mystery. We know the mystery. It's Christ in us. How's God going to redeem the world to himself? How's God going to redeem fallen creation? It's through his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to send him to live a perfect life. He's going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. They'll bury him. Everybody will think it's over, but three days later, he'll raise from the dead. He will commission his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. He'll send them to Jerusalem to wait for power that they'll receive from the Holy Spirit. And then they will be indwelt with the presence of God. Christ will be in them. And Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And one day Jesus will return for his bride. That's the truth. We know how it ends, don't we? Amen. What a gift to know the mystery. It's been revealed to us. Not only has it been revealed to us, but let us see it as manifest in you. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He fills us with his presence. He came upon the Old Testament saints of the past for great exploits. He walked with the disciples in the New Testament. He dwells in us. That's amazing. That should blow your mind. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We're saints because of that. We're holy because of that. How does that impact our lives? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? In the fullest sense, the mystery of God is God's plan of salvation through Jesus. 1 Timothy three sixteen, Paul says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the mystery. 
And we know it. We know it. And if we know the way, we should go the way so we, should, so we can show the way. That mystery's been entrusted to us. We get to share the whole story. Quickly now, we're running out of time, but let's look at verse 28. We see the message. We see the message. Paul said, Him we preach. Jesus, just Jesus is the message. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. 2 Corinthians 2.2, for I determined not to know anything, Paul said, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then later on in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Jesus said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. We don't preach politics, prosperity, or psychology. We preach Jesus. There's a lot of churches that do. But we preach Jesus. Just Jesus. He's the hero of the story. History is his story. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I don't have time. I was going to quote the lyrics of a great 90s Christian song. By father-son duet, uh, Aaron and Jeffrey, it's called He Is. They go through the whole Bible. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. And they, they show Jesus in every book of the Bible all the way through Revelation. You have to look it up. Google's awesome. Google He Is by Aaron and Jeffrey. You'll have a little revival. But we preach Jesus. Him we preach. Not ourselves. The mission, second part of verse 28, him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's our mission. That involves a convicting proclamation. He says, warning and teaching in all wisdom. We warn that judgment that is to come. There's a judgment for man's sin. Then we teach about God's solution and the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. That's what we do. We warn, we teach. Our preaching and teaching should comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. On any given Sunday, you should show up here at Hallmark and be encouraged by the grace of God, but thankful for the mercy of God. Amen. So it involves a convicting proclamation. It also involves the coming presentation of presenting people mature in Christ. One day we'll stand before the Lord and give an account of all he's entrusted to us. And perhaps Jesus will say, what did you do with the good news? What did you do with the mystery I gave you? Who did you tell? Did you make disciples? I gave you one job. <laughs> there was one job. What did you do with the treasure I entrusted you with? Did you use your gifts to build up my church? You know, your pastor carries a heavy burden because as an under-shepherd, he will give an account of how well he guided and equipped you in serving Jesus. You will give an account of how well you applied his training and his equipping. I think in church, instead of saying, hey, how's it going? We should say, how's it growing? We should all be growing. We should all be growing. Finally, verse 29, he said, striving according to his working, which works in me, 
mightily the might. The mission and the might behind the mission. Love that verse of scripture that Pastor John's challenging us with these last 21 days. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the what? Power that works in us. That's the might. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that's the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Are you working in your own strength? Because that is not necessary. He has filled you with his might to do his will and to fulfill his mission. It's time for me to close, but I'm gonna share one final word tonight. Our staff got together Sunday night and watched an incredible message by Pete Briscoe. And he talked about this passage, Colossians 1, 23. And so the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I'm taking this in and I'm learning, but I'm going to say something like this Wednesday night. I was taking notes, and he closed with an amazing illustration about the, the power of God in us, the might that is necessary to fulfill the mission of God. And he used a glove. And he said, uh, this glove here uh, can't do much on its own, you know? If you, were to, if you were to lay this glove on the Bible and, and say, glove, pick up the Bible. Nothing, right? It's just a glove. This glove represents us, right? We can't do much in and of ourselves. But you know what this glove can do when I put my hand in it? My hand in the glove? Pick up the Bible. Picks it up. What would you say of this glove when it does something like this. That is an amazing glove. That glove picks up a Bible like no glove I've ever seen. Is it the glove? No. It's the hand in the glove. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Anything we do, any ministry we achieve, I love Brother Roy's testimony. It's not us. When you look out at all those houses, it's because I surrendered my life and said, God, you got to make a way. And he did. And now almost everybody has a house. He didn't have a plan. He didn't know what he could do. He said, God, I'm your glove. Fill me with your might. And through me, do ministry. Fulfill the mission that you've called me to. Help me to be a good steward of the ministry. And so tonight, you need to say, God, I'm just a glove. But you've entrusted this incredible mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. But now it's revealed to us and it's manifest in us. Lord, you're my hope. Fill me with your might, your power, and use me for your glory. Would you guys surrender yourselves afresh and anew tonight to what God would do through you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the powerful testimony of surrender we heard tonight. Lord, what a, what a testimony. Lord, if we would all just surrender ourselves like that, if we would all just recognize that now we have the greatest news the world has ever heard and you're just looking for a vessel, you're just looking for a clay pot uh, that you can glorify yourself through. Lord, I pray that we'd surrender our lives to you. And pray as Paul prayed, not I, 
but Christ. For Lord, we're crucified with you. If we have faith in you, we, have, we are crucified with you. Nevertheless, we live, yet not us, but, but you in us. You're the hope of glory. I pray you'd shine through us. Um, Lord, share your wonderful message through us and change our, our homes, our streets, our neighborhoods, our communities, our city, our state, our world through our surrendered lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.